The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio is speaking. We've been in Corinthians and uh, kind of covering some degree, chapter by chapter, sort of an overview, sometimes verse by verse, this letter that Paul wrote, and it's you know, a couple thousand years ago to this ancient yet modern city, uh, to, a, to a people that has very specific issues, but also translates over to us today. And uh, so we're going to pick up in chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to jump in. Uh, I'll read a few verses too as well. Uh, this is out of the New Living. I didn't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. That rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with them, uh, with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So, so Paul, after, after we've looked at chapters and chapters of challenging these, these people, this new church, to mentally kind of get their minds around who they are in Christ and then morally try to get some control over behavior— He's going to kind of call back and point back to something of the past, sort of their, their, their legacy, their line, their lineage. And, and for you and I, we, we all sort of belong to this story. We all belong to some story. And in that story, the beginning of it is always in the beginning God. That, that is the common denominator of all our stories. In, I don't care who you are, where you've come from. I know the beginning of it is in the beginning God. God initiated. God gave birth to your your story. So he's calling back to these ancestors, and these people would have been learning about them. Some of them are Jewish history and knew them very well, uh, but it was important to look back on the past as it sort of set a tone and a direction for the present. And, and Paul's calling out in this, this, this early part of this, this what's chapter 10, the, the, the idea of these people had tremendous privilege. They come from a, the people in the church of Corinth and the people of that time following Moses. They had great privilege. You walk through the desert. You, you, you drank from the spiritual walk. You, God parted the sea. You're part of that story. These, these people had so much privilege. God was with them. There were signs and wonders and miracles. There was deliverance out of Egypt from freedom from slavery. And all these people had all this stuff granted to them. Tremendous. They had, they had, they had leadership and, and provision and anything you could ever ask for. God's presence would be upon them in a cloud and in intensive meeting. Like they had everything, all the privileges you could ever ask for, yet they sort of fell apart at the end. And Paul's reminding these people, even though these privileges happen, there's still a risk. And so for the people of that church of Corinth, like, yes, you've got Christ. Yes, you have these privileges, but, but how are you using it? How are you handling that? And not to live in such a way that you forget that you still sort of have to work it out day today. And with great privilege comes great responsibility. Great privilege comes great responsibility. But have anybody seen the Black Panther film yet? I mean, it's like it's up to like a, I mean, almost a billion dollars to the box office. It's just this huge phenomenon. Without giving any of it away, there's one of the central themes to this is, is, is this idea of, of resource and how it's shared or how it's used. So a particular people group or a city or a person, when they have a tremendous sort of gift or a talent of resource, how do they use that? How do they, how do they deal with that, say, privilege? And sometimes having that privilege or that resource can cause a tension, and, and you and I would, could find this in our own lives if we were able to lean into it. Because when you have something, and, and typically sort of the way of Christ is all about giving away, but it's like, do I, keep, do I keep it all? Do I give some of it away? If not, how much do I give it away? Uh, if I give it away, 
what if they waste it? What if they, what if they can't handle it, right? In this story in the film, Black Panther, there's sort of this, there's this tension, like, well, what if we, if we do that, if we, if we give this away, like, they're just going to ruin it. And, and, and Paul would sort of challenge, and the Bible would ultimately challenge through, through Christ, like, that's not our responsibilities to worry about how people will use that. You need to give away. You have this privilege. You need to own it up. You need to lean into it. And, 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 move, and move on and, and bless other people. And this Corinthian church is sort of sliding back with this gift they've been giving. So they're, they're not only are they not helping anyone else, they're falling apart themselves. And Paul's kind of pushing back. I mean, you guys are, you have stuff going for you. You have stuff going for you. What are you doing with that? How are you using that? How are you stewarding that, that privilege, that, that resource? I, uh, I think many of us can, can talk, think of times where we've just been blessed by someone or someone's been given us something and it, and it, and it turns sort of a light on in us, like, man, that was, that was beautiful. Thank you. And when we do give, we're able to sort of live generously. It, it tends to sort of make us feel good. So I think we're connecting with the attribute of God and his, his generosity, regardless of where that ends up on the other side. I think I remember sometime last year, there was a concert in town, and uh, I was thinking about going to it and not, didn't get tickets. And then some point during the night of this, this concert, it came out, a bunch of people were going to it, and I was like, ah, oh, man, sold out. W- you know, wish I could have gone. It was with Amy. I wish we could have gone. And, and there was someone there who said, yeah, I, I think I can get you in. Like, I actually have connections there. I think I can get you in. I have a relationship there. I think we can do this. And I was like, really? Are you sure? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And we met down at the thing, and this guy goes in. I won't name names cause, so you won't hit him up because he is my connection. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, we shake some hands, and we sort of walk in. And it was like, man, that was awesome. That, that we sort of had this privilege that someone else had a privilege was able to pass it on to us, and we sort of benef- benefited from that. Now, when I got in the concert, I was sucked into, like, you know, the mosh pit and almost died, but that's on me. So that, that's, that's how I wasted the opportunity. Like, I, I, I jeopardized my life, but, you know, he got me in the door, and then what I did with it was my, my problem. But we sort of, sort of that, but when we give things away and we sort of live generously, and this is hard, harder for some than others, like, Gosh, but what if they don't appreciate it? What if they waste it? What if they don't use it? What if they don't pay it forward? And ultimately, which is the life of Jesus, who just gives away and has to run this sort of risk of like, oh, man, what if they reject it? What if they don't use it? What if they don't share it? But that doesn't mean we don't deal with owning and building and stewarding and giving away these, these privileges we've gotten. And you and I, if, if, if you're here, we, we have great privilege in our life. I, I know for most of us in this room, even spiritually, there's a, there's a gift in, in, in us. There's a gift in each of you that I can see and we interact with. Like, what are you doing with that to give it away? How are you being careful with it to build it up and to be generous with it? And if you live here in Ventura, California, which I, which I assume most of you do, most of us do, really except for me who lives in Oxnard, but the rest of us live in Ventura, like, that's a privileged place to live. It's a beautiful place to live. If you're here, you are, you are privileged. You have tons of resources. You are, you are gifted. And it's good to be reminded of that sometimes. And the problem is when we, when we, when we look around, <laughs> and like, oh, I know I'm, I'm privileged, but we look around and say, oh, man, I'm privileged, but that guy's way more privileged. He's more privileged than me. Then it becomes like you don't feel like you have as much. And so we run into these sort of challenges, like, well, if I have what that guy has, then I can be more generous. But I think in this sort of blanket statement, when Paul's especially talking about the overarching love and provision of God, like, we're all sort of in the same boat. Like, that's the ultimate love. You you guys come from an amazing place. You've been given Christ. 
You need to use that well. That's a gift. That is a, that is a tremendous gift. And so what are you doing with what you've been given, both naturally and, and, and spiritually and within your own uh, story, with your resource, with your experience, with your influence? All of us have influence. We have people. We have gifts. How are you stewarding that? How are you using that for ultimately for the good of others? Ultimately for the good of others. Paul goes on, so he talks about this, this spiritual privilege that, that we collectively live in as the church. And he says, yet uh, God was not pleased with most of them. In verse 6, these things happened, and most, so most of their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, which is, which is kind. It was actually almost all of them except two. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. So he's telling this story that even the father, even their forefathers who had everything, right? Everybody look back and see people like, man, they had everything. If I was only that, life would be so much easier. Right? If I could only have been walked with God in the, in the wilderness and, and seen him do these miracles, my life would be easier. And Paul's like, listen, those guys had everything, and they still, they still bombed. They still failed, failed dramatically. Verse 11 says this. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us warn us who live at the end of the age. And this is the story of God's story, the, the Bible, God's story, our story in it, is one of, 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 of mass failure. Right? There's tons of failure in it. And so when these writers can go back and say, listen, these people, they had tons of all these great stories, right? They, just, they, they had Noah and Moses and Abraham and Samson, all the Bible stories we like to learn about. Jo- Jonah, like, man, if I only could have lived on during those times, I'd really believe in God. If I only saw these miracles, I'd really get it. But man, He's like, listen, people have been blowing it for, for generation and generation, no matter what they have. You have to be careful. You have to be careful where you're at. And our stories from our, our past, they really can teach us in this present. And so we look back now, we have to th- t- take that seriously. One of the things Amy and I like to kick around when we do, do marriage counseling, uh, particularly premarital, but really for anybody, is sort of like to draw up your family trees, like for the husband and the wife, the family trees. Maybe you've heard me say this before, and we, we would again, but it's interesting to tell your story that way. Like, here's where I come from. Here's mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, and as far back as you can go, because it sort of tells a story of things that you really need to watch out for. If you go back and think, wow, oh, these guys divorced, this guy divorced, this guy was an alcoholic, this guy, you know, ended up in jail. Like, you can kind of say, all right. Now, that's not fatalistic. That doesn't mean it's going to be you, but you can be proactive against some of these warnings. But Paul's looking back, look at, look at this track record, guys. It's not good. Like, we're part of that. Our track record's not great. <laughs> we're saved by grace, but we're left to our own devices. We sort of fall apart often, no matter what. Oh, if only I could see a sign. Like, here's a sign. Uh, how about another sign, right? That, that's sort of the story of the Bible. And we're walking into the same thing, even in this, this idea of, of, of Corinthians. He says this in verse 12. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you uh, a way out. When you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. When you are standing strong, when you're in a place of strength and health and doing well, he says, be careful not to fall. It doesn't say like when you're, when you're sick and scared and, and dizzy and feeling beat up, be careful not to fall. It's when you are standing strong. Because that's when those things sort of sneak up on us, when you're standing strong. Oh, look at that, the roller skating rink. Um, when you're standing strong, and he's warning them of these people, this place, they kind of felt like they're doing fine. Maybe they felt like they were doing fine. We saw that earlier on, early chapters, even in their moral failures, they're boasting. They think they're all good. 
He's like, man, that is almost the most dangerous place to be. When you're too confident, when you're too comfortable, and that's when we, that, that's when we're almost most at risk. When you're down, you know, even when you're sick, you kind of know you're sick, you're a little more careful, right, with what you eat, where you're going, you're washing your hands, like you're, you're in tune. When you feel great, you don't think about that as much, right? You don't wash your hands as much, you don't eat as healthy, you're not taking your vitamins. Also warning them, like when you're in those healthy places, be careful. My brother was here uh, for almost two weeks, I guess. Some of you guys met him over the past couple weeks. He's great, my younger brother's, he's 16 years younger, and uh, we have a lot of fun together, and he's, he, is, he has a lot of energy, and he's super social, and he likes to eat, drink, and be merry, like, 24-7, uh, which almost killed me. Like, I could not withstand that for two weeks. Like, I, I like to hang out, but, man, there was a few nights I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. Like, it's just not going to make it. And, uh, but he had a lot of fun. And one night, and I don't even know how it came up, and, and Allison, Amy, some others could probably speak to this, but he organized a roller skating night. And uh, I don't know where that came from. I don't roller skate. He doesn't roller skate, but he's like, we should go roller skating. Uh, he's never roller skated. I think I roller skated once as a kid. This wasn't something we grew up doing, but I was like, let's go roller skating. And, and he would put together this whole, whole group, and this is about my brother and, and my life, like, you know, whether it's roller skating or bowling or a big party at my house, there'd be this whole text thread between him, my wife, and his friends here. Like, I wouldn't be on that. Like, I would be informed, like, later on, like, hey, by the way, like, this is happening. Like, thank you. But he kind of moves on. But we had fun. We went roller skating. And, and I realized, like, roller skating is really hard if you don't know how to roller skate. Like, <laughs> it's just hard. Like, I'm pr- I'm, I feel pretty comfortable on, on, in board sports and on wheels and even on ice skates. But, man, roller skating is, is crazy. I put them on in the, in the, in the is it the roller skating rink? Is that what you call it here? And, and there's, like, the carpet. Like, this can't be. I almost went down, like, right in front of all the kids, like, at the snack shop. And, like, whoa, like, this is crazy. And. I roll out there, and, and I get going, and I can kind of get going. Like, I can even get going kind of fast, but I can't turn. Like, I don't know how you turn all those wheels. Like, how do eight wheels turn sort of around a bend? It just didn't make any sense to me. So I can go fast, and then I would just crash into a wall. Like, but fortunately, the walls are padded, and I would just try not to, like, flatten any little kids, you know, who are in my way. But I'm just kind of crashing around, and Amy's out there, and she's pretty comfortable. And I'd be kind of skating next to Amy, like I'd get, up, get alongside of her, like, oh, this is cute. Maybe I'll try to hold her hand. She'd be like, no, too close, too close. I'm like, you have to help me. She's like, no, you'll kill both of us. What will the kids do then? Like, I'm just like, I'm uncomfortable. Like, it was dangerous for me, and I, and I, but I was very sort of also aware of that. And it didn't matter that at some point in my history, in my, in my memory banks, like, I thought I could roller skate. It didn't matter now. It didn't matter that I did 30 or, you know, 40 or 50 or 100 years ago. I was there now, and I wasn't doing very well. It, it doesn't just carry over like you did it once, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're good to go. And so it took great intention for me to not, like, bail every time I went around the, around the rink. Like, I had to be very much like, okay, I am at risk of falling, like, every second that I'm out there and, and hurting myself and probably somebody else. And here's the thing about that. When, when we're aware of our sort of fragility in a, in a situation, we, we can prevent some things, right? We can be a little more prepared to go around. But when we're just cruising like, I got this, and that is when we, we are most at risk to go down. That's, that's where we're most at risk to go down. When you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. And we're going to fall. Like, that comes with practicing human life. We're going to fall. There's going to be issues in our life that, that are these, these falls or these failures, and we're going to end up in, in, in difficult places. 
But author uh, Paulo Coelho says, you drown not by falling into a river, but by staying submerged in it. You drown not by falling into a river, but staying submerged in it. And so we, we sort of have these sort of decisions, like, okay, I'm, I'm in this situation, now what do I do? Right? Do I have sort of the strength and, and the skill set and the help to get out of it, or is it just going to sweep me away? I'm going to succumb to it. We uh, um, had a privilege a couple, you know, a couple of years ago, two years ago now, to do a half-dome hike uh, with, with some of the guys here. And amazing, amazing, amazing hike. And I was reading about um, some of the hikes this week in, in half-dome, and, and it's Yosemite Park and half-dome in particular is one of the nation's most sort of dangerous areas. Uh, most rescues every year, and, and to some degree that has to do with the volume. It's like Disneyland in the summer, so there's just a lot of people up there. And, um, but of the past few deaths at, at Half Dome, this is the cable thing. I think I have a picture of that jet, these, these cables, and if you've ever been up there, seen it's, it's, it's fascinatingly insane and crazy and fun and, and scary, but there's this cable run that goes up to the top of this, uh, top of Half Dome. And of the three deaths in the past year or so, uh, one of them happened from a guy who came outside of the cables, and he was just trying to pass other people. There's this row, and there's this line, and there's a certain order, and there's safety nets, and there's guidelines in place to keep you safe. Uh, but sometimes when we want to rush and do our own thing, we get ourselves in trouble. And so someone felt like they can go quicker around the other people, and they fell off, and, and they lost their life. Two of the other deaths happened during a time when the cables weren't even up because the people who were smarter than us who run the park said it's too dangerous to go up there. Uh, but as humans do, they feel like they're smarter than the people who are smarter than them. And they tried to climb it up without cables. And they fell down to this, you know, thousands of feet, this granite abyss. And it's, and it's, and it's sad, those types of things that happen when we sort of jump out of the sort of safety nets that are provided for us. And I, and, I, and I know that is the story of this book up, up until this point. It's because the community is, it seems to be falling apart. Paul has grave concerns for the people because the safety nets are coming down. When the people around, the people doing, doing immoral things aren't rising up to become an aid of, and, and be health, that's, that's when the cables are down and this whole thing just gets very, very dangerous. And so we're pushing this idea of community, particularly here, we need to be connected to one another for those things because we serve as these, as these safety nets, as, as these cables. And for most of us, we're, our, our, our falls aren't going to be hopefully be off something like this, but we fall often too when we're not paying attention. That's when we stub our toes, when we drop things. We're not, we, we're not paying attention. We bang our head on stuff. I mean, I, I can't believe how many times, like, I still bang my head on things. Like, I'm like, really? Like, is that something you do, like, when you're a kid? Like, but I'm just, like, I'm busy. I'm running around. I, I'm just not paying attention. I knock my head on getting in and out of my car, and my mind's somewhere else. I'm like, not paying attention. Not paying attention. Because I'm not thinking about any sort of risk to my situation. And Paul's kind of re- leaning into these people again. Like, hey, listen, know you're at tremendous risk here. You're at risk here of, of, of losing this fullness in, of life that's been granted to you through Jesus to, to live a full, generous life of, of, of community and, 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 and giftings. And you're at risk of, of, of losing it. When you're standing strong, be careful that you don't fall. That, 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 that kind of hit me this week. I was sort of meditating on that because so many times, and there's been seasons in my life where I know I'm in, I, there's crisis happening, whether it's within, you know, work, family, illness, finances, whatever that is. Like, oh my gosh, I know I'm in crisis. 
But sometimes you look around like, I don't know, like everything seems fine. Nobody move kind of thing. Like this is okay. And those are the moments you kind of drift back. and like, man, I need to, to kick up the intensity all the time. Like, all right, I'm in a good place. I need to be careful not to fall here. People in our lives, and maybe this is you if you experienced this, when things sort of really kind of hit the fan relationally or, or in some areas of your, of your life, it tends to come as a surprise. And I've seen people whose lives kind of fall apart. Really, them? I, I couldn't even imagine there would be them. But these things sneak up on us. Paul goes on, uh, really to talk about, you can read this kind of in your own time. He, he spends like three or four chapters talking about meat sacrificed to idols. And, and eventually he says in verse 25, you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising any questions of conscience. So there you go. You can eat meat sold in the marketplace. But what he's, what he's talking about here is there's these uh, kind of tension rising up in the church about these different meats that are used in temples and can they eat it or not eat it or should they eat meat at all and who can eat it and where, how do we know where it comes from. And, and, and Paul ultimately says, listen, it's not about the meat. That, that's not the problem. The meat's fine. You want to eat the meat? Great. If you don't want to eat it, don't eat the meat. Like, it, you have permission to do whatever you want. But, it, but the, the heart issue and the intention behind it is what you need to be, be careful of. If it's in a setting that's an, an altar and a spiritual sacrifice to something else, like, you probably shouldn't be there anyway. Like, don't, you don't even, that shouldn't even be a question. Like, obviously, don't be there. Don't worry about the meat. The meat shows up at someone's house, you're having dinner, like, eat the meat. It isn't about, it's about these sort of contexts that he's warning these people of. <clears throat> and he summarizes the whole thing this way. And this is just a classic sort of word. And remember, he's gone on for chapters and chapters about some rules and guidelines, and he's kind of rant and raved, and he's tried to offer encouragement and reprimand. Then he says in, in verse 31 uh, of chapter 10, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. He says, listen, all this stuff, he says, the meat, the, the marriage, the divorce, the, the temples, the, the carings for orphans and widows, the, you know, the, the stories of the past, the failures. Like, listen, just try to do this. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And this has become sort of an anchor verse really for you and I or, or anyone in this sort of church, church age. Like, okay, whatever, eat or drink. And what that, what that calls to, he's saying, basically be alert and aware of God all the time. Be, God, be aware of God all the time. That's going to keep you from getting in these places where you're, where you're lost and falling. If when I eat and drink, I'm, I'm aware of God in my day-to-day, that's going to help keep me on track. Whatever I do when I go to work, when I be with people, if I'm trying to be aware of God, my actions, my words, loving, that will keep me sort of in awareness of God where I won't drift off into some kind of weird place. As you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. I love... Uh, we love eating together as a Ken, as a family, and those of you guys who have kids or in or out of the house, like, it gets hard sometimes. It's just this easy thing to get around the table. It used to be, like, mealtime, but, like, it just gets harder now with, with practices and, and work and, and ins and outs, and we, but we still love to get around the table. And, um, man, we just always try to lean into that family prayer at, at dinner. And sometimes it's quick, and it's kind of like someone has to pray, and we'll wait for someone to pray, and it's not all, like, spiritual, but, like, but we're going to stay in that place. Like, this is important. This is a reminder. And my son, Cash, he's great. I, I, I always appreciate this about, about him. And my other two as well. But, but they almost always say, after we have, di- you know, have dinner, we serve dinner, they, they, they say, you know, thank you, Dad. Thank you, like, to me. Um, and, and, I, and I'm like, 
I don't feel like they have to say thank you to me to bring dinner to them. Like, I feel like that's part of the deal. But there's something in their, their hearts that, no, thank you. Thank you for this provision of food at this table that even though I'm expected to or not expected to, however that works, there's gratitude. And in our life of spirituality with God, if we can begin to see those thank yous more frequently, it will keep us in tune with who he is. And it will keep us in a place where we realize our own sort of frailty as we walk out this, this thing here on planet Earth. So I'm going to have Noah come up. We'll close out in a song. and um, I'm gonna, just going to pray. God, I thank you for who you are, for your story, God. Um, Thank you for the warnings of, of the text. Uh, probably for a lot of us in this room. When you're standing strong. Be careful not to fall. <clears throat> God, I pray for anyone right now who just, maybe they need to wake up. Maybe they know, know they need to wake up. They've just been cruising, coasting. Um, they want more, but don't even know what that means. Want a deeper relationship, but not sure how, God. Pray your Holy Spirit even now as we talk and sing and listen uh, will be upon those people, Lord. Thank you for this community and just for the beautiful souls within it. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio was speaking. For more information about New Church, go to n-e-u-e-c-h-u-r-c-h dot com. That website address again is n-e-u-e-c-h-u-r-c-h dot com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you and yours.